This episode is supported by Ontario Wildlife Photography by Noah Cole. This stunning, acclaimed collection of wildlife photography features moose, turtles, dragonflies, shorebirds, hawks, and songbirds from the marshlands of Point Pelee to the wilderness north of Lake Superior. I have been loving this book lately, and it's such an awesome way to refresh and get away from it all. Whether I want to decompress after working or relax away from screens and social media, each photo has a brief description, including anecdotes on how Noah, the photographer, discovered the wildlife. I was especially struck by the swimming eastern chipmunk. Noah was adventuring with his dad in Quetacao Provincial Park when they saw beautiful water lilies, a turtle, wild rice, and a swimming chipmunk that rested on a lily pad mid-creek. Then there's the beautiful orange Aphrodite fritillary butterfly he spotted near North Bay, drawing nectar from red clover. Noah believes that for people to enjoy the inherent benefits and understand the importance of protecting nature and wilderness, we have to see and appreciate the beauty of the wild that exists today. Learn more about Ontario wildlife photography and order your copy at greenravenphotography.com or your favorite bookstore. Again, that's Ontario wildlife photography. Most anywhere books are sold. What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. What do you remember learning about orgasms early on? I honestly can't think of anything, really, except that they were sort of alluded to on TV. Oh, and that boys might do so in their sleep during puberty. People of all sexes and genders can have wet dreams, by the way, and not just during puberty. So there's one myth debunked. Back in early March of 2020, just as the world, at least here in the U.S., was about to change dramatically because of the COVID-19 pandemic, I had what would be my last session at the studio I'd been recording in. That day, I was joined by Autumn Bardot, an educator and author, who writes historical fiction and historical erotica. In particular, she writes about fearless women and dangerous passions. We also had a special surprise guest, sort of a tiny live audience, who ended up weighing in as well. And we heard from another erotica author on one of her favorite orgasm myths to debunk. Today you'll hear the best parts of that session, plus some added information and related tips that I thought you might find helpful. I hope you enjoy. Thank you for joining me, Autumn. Hi. Thank you for having me, August. I love your podcast and that it sheds light on some of the most intimate aspects of our lives. That means so much to me. Thank you. I would love to hear a bit about your personal journey. What is something you remember learning about sex or sexuality when you were growing up? I had a very, a mother who was very open about sexuality. 
She told me everything. She gave me books. She actually gave me a book on masturbation. Wow. <laughs> At like 14. And she was very open about that. She's still very open. <laughs> because she's open, you're able to come at it kind of more honestly and ask her questions, which was amazing. And I think I carried that through with my own children because I've always been very open and honest with them. Uh, so if you ever come to my house, sometimes the conversation can be a little bit dicey. <laughs> <laughs> I want to come over. That's amazing. So did you know what masturbation was by the time she brought I this book? I didn't. She just gave me this book. I read it. And I thought, hmm. It was very, it was illuminating. It was eye-opening. That is really amazing. I am so grateful that both you and your mother had that wherewithal, because as you know, it's a rare thing and it's a very empowering thing. At what point did you decide to delve into writing erotica? I started writing maybe about six years ago. I wrote under a different pen name, Paranormal Romance. And then I thought, you know, I like historical fiction. I'm going to start writing historical fiction. There was definitely some scenes that were spicy. Like, I liked the spicy scenes. I had an agent at the time, and she sent something over from the publisher and said, do you want to include some of your scenes? Because they're looking for someone to write a book about erotic myths. And since you do historical and you have all the spice in there, and so I sent over about not just one scene, I sent her three scenes from different books, all different kind of flavors and different kind of attitudes and tones. And they came back and they said, we want you to write this myth book, and that was Legends of Lust. And so while I was writing that, and I was writing the Queen of Sheba myth, not really a myth, it's more of a legend, and I'm writing her story, just the one little part where she meets King Solomon. And I get to that part, and I'm like, she needs a whole story. I need to know more. And then I went back right after that, and I wrote Confessions of a Sheba Queen. Which just released. Congratulations. Thank you. It's Thank so you. exciting. It's a wonderful book. You've said that you wish you were one-tenth as brave as the women you write about. I think mm -hmm. people who don't know a lot about erotica, that is not something that they would consider. They would think, oh, this book is full of orgasms. Cool. Which is great. <laughs> but your books have a lot of depth to them. Thank you. <laughs> Tell us more about that and that mission that you have. Why is it so important to portray these brave women? I love writing about brave women, reading about brave women, because what I had to deal with in my life, I'm on my third marriage. This one's a keeper. The first two, not so good. I left them. I had children. I had, at that time, no career, no job. And I had to be very brave. I wasn't getting any kind of support from really anybody. <laughs> the advice was kind of mm, not, not great advice. I went back to school, which everybody told me, Autumn, you shouldn't really do that. Don't go back to school. I went back to school. I got a, a degree in English, went got my master's, kept just chugging along. And after my master's, I said, hey, I'm going to write a book. I always wanted to write a book. All those steps, leaving husbands, having children, all that took a lot of bravery. And I think that's something women need more of. They need to see how women overcame things. Yeah. And there's so many fabulous women in history who did amazing things. And when I write about these women and Sheba, I mean, what she did, I don't think I could ever do what she had to do to become queen or any of the other women I write about. But in my heart, I can. And in my spirit, I can. 
And I think that's important for all women, I think, because sometimes we tend to be a little bit less brave than we could be. That's true. That's true. And I think living vicariously these brave acts might help us do something in our own lives that are might seem quote unquote small, right? Mm-hmm. Like a, a brave step. Looking back on my life when people have told me I'm brave for certain things, they aren't usually the things that felt brave to me. Right. Like one example I have shared, I wrote a, a story about was after I had been diagnosed with this eating disorder, one of the bravest things I ever did was eat breakfast. Wow. And okay, I wrote a yes. whole story about eating that breakfast, which I can still feel so much emotion around. So it's in these daily experiences, these things that people don't necessarily see that are mm-hmm. so important. And I, I really appreciate that. So a little bit about the special surprise guest I mentioned. Leading up to the recording session, a listener named Kate emailed me, letting me know that she planned to be in Los Angeles. I ended up inviting her to join us in the studio to listen and, if she were interested, discuss orgasm myths. I'm so glad she agreed. Kate, thank you for being here, by the way. We have a wonderful listener in the studio. Well, it's a pleasure to be invited. Thank you. Would you share one orgasm myth that you would like to debunk? Yes. One of my favorites. Years ago, I heard from an old lady who told me that the orgasm of a woman is connected to the gender of the baby she conceives. So, which means apparently if the woman orgasms, it's going to be a boy. If she didn't, it's a girl or the other way around because I thought it was so ridiculous. I kind of forgot what it was. (laughs) It was probably the first one because people assume... That if you don't have an orgasm, it is somehow a female experience, which, by the way, is another myth, right? Because plenty of people with a penis, plenty of men experience sex without orgasm or maybe struggle with orgasm, and they also may fake orgasm. So these are not gendered things that, that happen, per se. So that's really interesting. Yeah, I thought it was very funny. Yes. Yeah. What is one, Autumn, that you would like to to bring up? I know there are many. Um. You mentioned edging. I've never heard that term, so that is so cool. There, Autumn was talking about a listener segment she had heard. Someone had written in sharing that she wanted stronger orgasms, and sex therapist Dr. Megan Fleming and I shared a little bit about edging as a possible way to do so. Edging is also known as orgasm control, and it's when you get close to orgasm, then stop, then get close again, then stop. And the idea, the point, is to build up blood flow to all those sexy parts and really increase arousal. You basically delay orgasm in a way that revs up excitement. Although, to be honest, it can be slightly frustrating too. But some people really get off on that tension. You can edge with a partner where you take turns taking each other through it or on your own during a solo play session. And as you were discussing edging and all I could think of is that when you read erotica that's a whole lot like edging for the reader so you're reading all this hot stuff and you're like "Mm, I'm getting ready and (laughs) totally and one of the things I have I'd ask my Facebook listeners is why do we read erotica and one of them said it gets me ready for my husband and I thought wow that's really cool so perhaps it is that edging. I don't know if that's a myth. (laughs) You know what that brings up is that 
sex is only the actual activity. This whole idea of foreplay, usually it means the thing that happens before intercourse, or at least before you're naked and rolling around, or people have different definitions of it. But to me, it's more about having what Dr. Megan calls keeping your inner sexy pilot light on, to turn that on with erotica Mm -hmm. and to know that quote unquote foreplay, if that's a helpful term to you, think of it as it doesn't have to be you with another person. It can be you with your erotica. It can be, I guess maybe a good metaphor would be, you know, when you have something you want to eat and you just take a little lick or you smell it and you want to eat it, but you just want to savor it. And so it's that, I love that term edging. It's that this building up and then it allows you to savor so much more the moment when it comes. Yeah. Oh, that's a great analogy. I love that so much, especially the smelling one, because you're going to want to throw that in your mouth. (laughs) Puns embraced. I asked Sammy Ray Schwartz, who's another erotica author. She's also a phone sex operator to speak about a myth. She told me that as a chronically ill woman of color, she felt starved for representations of people like her in literature having raw, real, kinky sex. And she added this, disabled people are rarely portrayed as sexual beings, and when they are, it tends to be one-dimensional, objectifying, and just plain boring. So this is awesome. She wrote the erotic short story of kink and disability called Boundless, which is featured in the new anthology Best Bondage Erotica of the Year, Volume 1. The story is about a free-spirited musician who finds her way back to herself after an accident affects her mobility of her limbs. And while she's in rehab, using a wheelchair, she has this very steamy affair with another patient who, quote, shows her the music that is still inside her. Yes, it sounds so delicious. And here is what Sammy had to say. Hey, August. Thanks so much for spreading the word about my recently published erotica about kink and disability. So in that spirit, I'd love to share an orgasm myth that is harmful to everyone, but especially disabled folks. And that is the belief that orgasm is a fixed, unchanging, purely physiological reflex that can be triggered through a particular code of motions and repetitive stimulation to a particular spot on your equipment. Like you got to rub or stroke this magic spot at the perfect angle X number of times and then boom, orgasm unlocked. Of course, learning about our anatomy and finding what kind of touch we like is super important. But we don't give nearly enough attention to the fact that the most important sex organ is the brain. We've all heard it. Yet so much of sex advice, erotica, and porn focuses on the mechanical aspects of sex and masturbation. I've learned so much about this in my work as a phone sex operator, where it's all about arousing the person's mind. This myth can be so discouraging for disabled people who might not be able to move in the same way as others, who may lack sensation in the genital region or not get erections. They often get the idea that because they're missing some ingredient in the recipe, they just can't have an orgasm. And that's not true. There are perfectly abled people who have every ingredient intact but still haven't been able to have an orgasm. So it's not about that. Some people can have orgasms without erections. They can have orgasms from being touched on their neck or their knees. They can have hands-free, no-touch orgasms. They can even have non-genital orgasms, feeling it somewhere like their feet or even in a phantom limb after amputation. 
What I'm saying is the human brain and nervous system is amazingly plastic. And this is great news for people of every kind. Even if you have no trouble achieving orgasm and may have a particular formula worked out that generally gets the job done. Like for me, it's that tiny little sweet spot tucked up under my clitoral hood. You still might want to experiment with something different. What about using a different hand, focusing on a different spot, focusing on touching your whole body except between your legs, not touching yourself at all and thinking your way to orgasm? Or with a partner, completely avoiding your usual routine, seeing how far you can get with words alone. There are so many possibilities. So yeah, that's my take on an orgasm myth that really annoys me. I hope you'll check out my story. And I wish everyone very happy orgasms. <laughs> Thank Love you it. so much, Sammy. That was so, so great. To learn more, head to SammyRaySchwartz.com. You can find the Best Bondage Erotica of the Year, Volume 1, wherever books are sold. Sammy said it includes a whole range of diverse voices and celebrates bondage sex in all its human, messy brilliance. Kate brought up another myth that is true in some, but definitely not all, cases. It's a myth in terms of her own personal experience. What is another myth Kate, that you would like to bring light to? Um, that's my favorite, actually, my favorite myth. It seems that a lot of men believe that women are faking orgasms to make them feel better, you know, make them feel great or, you know, polish their ego. <laughs> and I'm afraid I'm probably disappointing many men right now by telling them that is not the case. A woman fakes very often an orgasm to shorten a process that is not enjoyable to her. <laughs> Thank you for bringing light to that. I think I have heard from some people who relate to both of those. The idea of I want to seem as though I'm having an orgasm because my partner is so focused on that's how he feels, a sense of accomplishment or out of embarrassment or shame. But I've heard from many people who have said the sex takes so long that I would rather fake it and then use my vibrator later. So <laughs> there are all these different reasons. You know, I'm all about authenticity. So I, I really do think being real and honest is great. But I also think that if you do fake orgasms, you probably have a really valid reason. And we have so little education, which would help so much. Don't you think? <laughs> like if we learned how to have pleasurable sex, then people might not try to get it over with. <laughs> um, I, th I think so, too. Yeah. Yes. I know. And to me, just as an example, I would like to feel something inside of me when when having sex. And I have to admit, I did shorten that process by faking an orgasm. Yes. You know, if to me, it feels like throwing a wiener into a garage. It's not really a pleasurable. So that's why I shortened the whole thing. And another option, if you relate to that, if you feel like, because we've talked about does size matter? And we can experience pleasure in so many different ways, right? Mm -hmm. But some people really do love that feeling of being filled up, and it's very important to them. So also bringing a toy out is a great option. By the way, in a study published in 2019 involving over 1,000 straight women, about 58% of the participants reported faking an orgasm at some point. Reasons they shared for faking it included they wanted their partner to feel successful, that was about 57%, 
About 45% said they wanted sex to end because they were tired. And around 38% said they cared about their partner and they didn't want them to feel bad. I also heard from a listener once who said that she learned how to orgasm by faking it. It's like a spicy version of fake it till you make it. She said the experience of faking those O's was hot too. Sort of like role play or sexy acting. And she said she still had fun. So maybe it's not an ideal scenario. I'm sure she would have preferred already being able to climax. But that's far from bad, right? I think we judge people a lot for these things. Also, while it's less talked about, some men and people with a penis also fake orgasms. At least one survey showed that when it happens, it often has to do with self-esteem, wanting their partner to feel like they did a good job, so to speak. I imagine shame around not getting there plays a role pretty often for lots of folks of all genders, too. If you relate to the scenario Kate brought up, wanting to make sex end faster, like you're trying to get to orgasm, it's not happening, and maybe you're tired, maybe you're getting hot and sweaty and you don't want so much sweat, whatever your reason, you want it to wrap up, here's a tip. Consider inviting your partner to a mutual masturbation, aka side-by-side solo play session, where you make out and then get yourselves off. Most people come the fastest and easiest on their own. And sometimes when we put all of the onus on a partner to quote-unquote make us orgasm, it causes problems. You can also, in a really like sultry, sexy way, just suggest, hey, are you cool if I get my vibrator or my toy? I want to play with myself while I do blank, blank, blank with you or to you. I think most partners would be pretty down for that. Another myth that I think is really interesting is that everyone should be able to orgasm from penetration alone. Or sometimes we hear the opposite, that if you have a vulva, that oral and external play is going to be your everything. And I think it's important to know that we're all different. Everyone's different. And we also are different day to day. So the way that we experience orgasm one day is probably not going to be the exact same we experience another time. And having communication open is really big as well. Autumn, I would love to hear, since you were studying masturbation <laughs> before many of the rest of us, um, <laughs> if, if you read that book. But I'm curious about your thoughts on this myth. Masturbation ruins or takes away from orgasms with a partner. Oh, I don't think so. I think it would enhance it. Because I think the more you feel sexually alive and turned on, the more sexually alive and turned on you're going to be. It's just like maybe a muscle if that would be an analogy. So I would think if you're going to masturbate, that's just going to help maybe later on when, you're, when your special someone is there and gives you confidence that knowing that if I can do it myself, I can do it with anybody. It's true. <laughs> yeah. And knowing your body and experiencing orgasms really does have a beneficial impact on all sex that you have. It's, it's important, especially for example, leading up to perimenopause or menopause, if you are sexually active, which includes, of course, solo play, mm -hmm. that you're less prone to things like vaginal dryness Correct. or, you know, those are important things that we don't always hear about. Kate, I know you have another myth swirling in your head. I can see it. <laughs> well, um, in the old days, actually, it was said that women are not have to be fun during sex. It's 
it's their job, their job to make the, the man having fun, but they're not to orgasm. You know, an orgasm for a woman is a sin. She never talked about it. You know, I had a guest on who grew up in a cult, and oh, wow. she was taught that sex is supposed to be painful, and if you are a woman, you are not allowed to experience pleasure. So that's very real and probably still in some circles, which is very sad. I, I have another so. myth. Yes, I yes. do. The Please. one you brought up, August. I had a hysterectomy very early in my life, 40, for various reasons. And everybody told me once you, you hit menopause or you have a hysterectomy, you won't have that natural lubrication anymore. Maybe some women have that issue. I didn't have that. So once again, that's a personal thing. I didn't have that issue. And I've told people, I, I have no problem. It's still all working. See, and I think it's really important. If all we hear are those those myths that everybody is this way, it can become self-fulfilling. Mm -hmm. Because if you're expecting sex to not be pleasurable, you're expecting orgasm to be bonus. If you're expecting everything to shrivel up when your <laughs> eggs stop being produced, right? Exactly. Then it's very easy to kind of go, oh, well, I'm not feeling in the mood. That must be pre-menopause or menopause. And then you don't take those steps to nurture something you don't think exists. So thank you for pointing that out. You know, I think um, the, the excuse that a lot of women used let's say like 30 years ago, oh, I've got a headache, oh, I've got a mm -hmm. migraine. That's probably because sex was not pleasurable to them. And maybe we didn't and, yet realize that orgasms uh, reduce pain. I not that you have to have sex when you have a headache. Of course not. But it does help. The orgasm gets yeah. rid of the headache. It well, really can. I have a vibrator that I consider my headache vibrator <laughs> because I'm not super into the really, really intense vibrators. That's just not my favorite thing. When I have a bad headache, I'm not turned on. Mm -hmm. I need to make myself be turned on if I want to be. And that toy is so medicinal. So there's very much something to that. I could imagine, you know, and then the later on in life, uh, a woman uses that, you know, never felt pleasure during sex, uses her menopause as an excuse Exc not to have it, mm -hmm. which I think is extremely sad. I'm, I'm with you, you know, it depends mm -hmm. on the person. It depends on how much it enjoys it, how much her, she enjoys herself. And I never had that problem either, you know, menopause. And as as you said, August shriveling up. <laughs> no way. Uh-uh. I'm going to uh -uh. enjoy myself no matter what comes my way. Thank you, know? you. I'm so glad to hear that. Sex desire and our bodies do change with increasing age. That's true for people of all sexes and genders. And while changing hormone levels do affect things like wetness versus dryness and the ability to maintain erections and such, None of that is a sex life or orgasm death sentence. Also, vaginal dryness comes from so many different factors. It can also stem from taking an allergy medication or having too little sleep. And I love that both Kate and Autumn have proven that the idea that middle age or menopause means you're no longer a sexual being is mythical. And you're still totally worthy of pleasure and Certain things around that might change as far as how you experience it, but that doesn't make it less valuable. There's a myth that relates to erotica. I know that this is an important point for you, Autumn, that sex and erotica can be so much more than orgasm. Would you speak to that a little bit, sex being a metaphor, something that can symbolize so much more? I think for me, at least, I'm, you know, I'm a literature nerd. 
And when we read a book of erotic, we're just we're reading it for the sex and, and the story. The writer, I think, in a lot of times, like besides real life where you're having sex because, you know, hubby's home and you're and you're hot and horny. That's one thing. But in literature, you get to like zero in on focus on specific sex acts, which I think always are going to mean a little bit more. Um, so I come at it with a little bit more of a, like a literature understanding, maybe more nerdy view. But to me, when I put in that sex act, I really feel like a lot of times it can offer the reader more um, an idea of what the character is really like. It can help further the plot along. It can kind of reveal their emotions, what's going on in the society, how they feel about it, their relationship, who's on top, who's on bottom, who's taking control. I think a lot of it's just the emotional state of a character. Look at like different sex scenes in literature. Sometimes, especially when I write it, a lot of times I want to give it like if it was a taboo act, I want to show them breaking a taboo because of their strength or having some kind of epiphany or enlightenment. In Queen of Sheba, in in Confessions of, of a Sheba Queen, she uses sex for a variety of different reasons. Sometimes she uses it to get what she wants. Sometimes she uses it to manipulate. But there's a scene in there where it's a very powerful sex scene and she feels a little bit ashamed and guilty for it. But then ultimately it reached her goal, sometimes just for sheer pleasure. I think when we're writing a sex scene, there's so much more we can add to the character or to the plot or to a conflict than like sex that we have with our with our partner. Um, that usually doesn't have any underpinnings. You know, if I'm I'm having sex with my husband, I'm not thinking, ooh, you know, what am I really having sex here for today, this morning? But in a book, you get to really fine-tune it and like shed a spotlight on that particular act at that particular time and give it like a little bit more flavor. Whether the reader sees it or not doesn't matter to me. Mm -hmm. I kind of like doing that just kind of for me. But it really, to me, just opens up the character a lot more. That's beautiful. How has writing erotica and perhaps this book impacted your connection to your sexuality or or maybe your sexuality as a whole? I think that, I mean, I'm older. I've had a lot of, I don't know, a couple husbands, <laughs> a couple kids. I liked writing it because it, it enabled me to kind of flesh out really cool scenes that I probably would never do. But man, I like to think about them and I want to be in the moment with them. Just like with any any writer that when you write something, you know, when you have these characters doing things, you wouldn't necessarily do that or or act that way, but you get to like pretend. In a sense, it's like you're acting. You get to be an actor and you act out any kind of fantasy or anything that you want in your characters and let them behave the way you would want to see it played out. And that to me, it's very empowering because I, I get to do something that a lot of people don't. They don't get to to write all about those fantasies. They get to read mine. <laughs> and that's empowering. That makes them happy. They takes them out of their world into another world. It gets them to live vicariously through a character. And if you can have that experience, that's just another cool thing in your life. Absolutely. And I love the point you brought up about living out a fantasy without it happening in real life. That's such an important point because so many fantasies are best kept in the imagination, and that doesn't make it any less of a fantasy mm-hmm. that you didn't act on it physically. Because again, going back to Sammy's clip, the mind and the brain are so strong in our sexuality and our, our pleasure. 
It's one reason that so many people who identify as straight really love gay porn. You know, you could be a lesbian who gets really turned on by a heterosexual couple sex scene in a book Mm -hmm. or a movie. Our fantasy life is its own beautiful, vibrant thing. Yes. I feel like you have something to share again, Kate. (laughs) No, not really. It's just uh, these fantasies, as you say, um, are best kept in our heads. Yes, that doesn't mean we cannot use them during sex. That's true. Mm-hmm. You know, which yeah, I think can have a very unique and very sensitive effect. Let's say, just as an example, if you have a fantasy about your gardener <laughs> who you think is extremely sexy because he's working out, and all of a sudden your fantasy just projects him into the bedroom with you. The effect can be extremely unique and in that way whether you're on your own or with somebody or somebody's having that extra element benefits Mm -hmm. everyone right i think so too luckily no one has been able to mind read anybody yet because (laughs) (laughs) it's great to keep things in your head nobody has to know how outrageous or anything that you are and i think that's kind of the benefit of of reading and just having all these weird thoughts i i know when my husband when he reads my books he looks at me and he says I look at you and you seem so normal. And then I realize (laughs) all this weird stuff going on in your head. And I bet he says it with a big smile. (laughs) I bet it's very endearing and and cool. It's a a little scary. (laughs) You're so right. We get to have this privilege of Mm -hmm. our own private fantasy life. And we can keep it to ourselves. We can Mm -hmm. share it through expression. expression. We can also talk about it when we want to, which can be really titillating as well, Mm -hmm. to chat about what is a fantasy you've had or imagine we were doing this. Maybe you've always fantasized about a threesome. You may decide you want to have one or you may decide that you just want to talk about it and that is a very hot and hot enough and maybe better for you. So there's no wrong way to go about it for sure. Thank you Mm -hmm. for bringing that up. Would you tell everyone just a little bit more about your book? Confessions of a Sheba Queen. There's so much enigma about her. When you look at the artwork around her, even the artwork from different cultures is very different. They portray her as everything from very pale and white to very dark from Ethiopia. So I had this awesome character with such divergent understandings, depending on what what literature you were reading from. And I said, I want to kind of merge all of this together and make her real, make her alive and make her this amazing, powerful woman, which she already was, but we just don't know that much about her. So it starts with her journey of how she actually became the Queen of Sheba. And even that, there are some myths, too, of how she became a queen. They basically said she walked into the palace and killed the king and said, I'm queen. And okay, I'm thinking, how does that happen? And that was actually one of the most fun scenes to write about. How did she really do it? How does a woman who nobody knows convince a whole country that she is the queen? I kind of tie it all together and show her journey, not just how she became queen, but really her understanding about life, love, friendship, and her understanding of her own inner powers. And of course, there's lots of super hot sex. It was amazing and fun to write. It really was. Kate, do you have a thought you would like to leave listeners with? As a listener who's turned the tables here, usually you're the one hearing those messages. What would you like to share? Don't listen to myth. Just enjoy yourself whenever it's possible. Mm, Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Words to live by, for Mm -hmm. sure. Autumn, Mm -hmm. what would you like to share? 
I love what Kate said. Yes, definitely. I think, and my husband and I were discussing this as we were driving in here today, be your best you and find a partner that loves you for you. And if you don't, ditch them, (laughs) get rid of them. You be your best you because you can't be anything else. And I think once I realized that and embraced that, I had a lot more fun in my life and be braver because I was just me. Mm, It shows. Thanks. (laughs) Thank you both for sharing your hearts and your voices and your thoughts with us today. It's been so fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Kate. For one last little moment of fun before we wrap up, I have a toy recommendation. It's something that caught my eye at the pleasure chest, and it relates to another myth. If you need or just really prefer to experience orgasm with a toy, that there's something wrong with you. Nope, not even a little. This month, the Pleasure Chest is celebrating perfect pairings. Toys you can use together with a partner to power up your play and double your pleasure. I was especially struck by the WeVibe Date Night Special Edition Couples Vibrator Set. It includes their best-selling Nova 2, which is a vibrator that can stimulate the clitoris and G-spot at the same time, and the Pivot, which is a vibrating cock ring, basically, that also works well around a dildo. You can even use a special app to have fun with each other across the room, or even another country. It seems like such a fun way to spice things up if you're looking for a new sexy adventure. Check it out and explore the perfect pairing collection at thepleasurechest.com. And if you are enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I would so appreciate it if you would post a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the iTunes Store. And please do tell your friends about it. You can also support the show while getting fun bonus content by joining my community at patreon.com slash girlboner. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>